mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling like I'm dreaming. Because you're talking to me. Yeah, because I'm talking to you. (laughs) Actually, no, because we are about to meet one of my favourite artists. And since we started the podcast, we actually went very early on to Edinburgh, to Jupiter Artland. And we saw this incredible um, work, which was called Cafe Party. Mm. And it's an installation that you walk into. And it kind of blew my mind at the time. I think it was first... um, commissioned in like 2017 and we just literally stumbled across it in 2018 Mm. while we were there in um edinburgh festival doing an amazing kind of episode about different parts of edinburgh and the the kind of cultural landscape there and it was the most bombastic what's the word like it just had such a massive impact on me and I wasn't expecting it so we walked into this cafe and the whole thing was an artwork from like the tables to the walls um having murals all over them and Mm. like even the plates and the the crockery Mm. and the whole thing was this kind of living artwork you know and it was just mind-blowing and it stays with me to this day and every time I go to Edinburgh I always make sure I go and like have a coffee in that space because I've got pictures of us in front of it that we can actually post as well we do and I find it so joyous (laughs) And today's guest is born the same year as myself, uh, not you, Russ, but he was born in 1980 Mm. um, in Lausanne. And he's a figurative painter predominantly. But the thing that I love so much about him is he's taken painting into the world and into the the dream world at the same time. So it's this kind of like very heightened, super kind of extraordinary reality alongside, you know, things that you might already recognise within painting, such as still life and representational kind of conventions. Um, And he paints in all different materials, often like soft pastel. And he's been showing all over the world. So I'm pretty sure wherever you are, there is something he has done in, in the city you're living because he's um, becoming a globally kind of successful and celebrated artist. And I've wanted him on the show, no joke, since 2018. So we finally got there in 2023. <laughs> so thank you to our guests for coming on. We would like to welcome to Talk Art, Nicholas, Nicholas Party. Party. <laughs> Hi, Nick. <laughs> Hello, guys. I mean, what an introduction. Thank you so much. That uh, I'm very happy to be here. I mean, I couldn't be, you know, before that, but uh, <laughs> time and time time's been, been passing. But, uh, you know, I, I love the podcast. It's really awesome. I'm very, very happy oh, to be here. Thank cool. you. So thank this, you. this uh, mural cafe installation at Jupiter Artland in Edinburgh, 
When did you make that so people can sort of picture it? That's a good question. I mean, it sounds like you, so you, I think it was, it was probably, yeah, 2016 or 17, I will imagine. And uh, yeah, that was, that was amazing because we painted the entire kind of cafe uh, on site. So we kind of stayed there actually like for like a month, you know, in, wow. um, you know, in the, in the owner house <laughs> and, you know, they're amazing hosts. A great kind of family. There's like you know peacocks around and like uh, you know cooking great stuff. And uh, we had like a fantastic time. My kind of wife now that came, and uh, it's actually where I met uh, Sanya Kantarovsky for the first time, and we became friends. They came with their little baby at that time. Anyway, that that was an amazing memory. Actually, I had a great memory because we stayed there for like. I think my wife's parents came to visit. Anyway, we had a great time. It's a great place. Yeah, it's really like fantastic, yeah. and it's really fun to walk around this kind of sculpture park. There's a lot of great surprises to to discover the, along the walk. <laughs> and Jupiter Artland is founded by Nikki and Robert Wilson, who are literally the greatest philanthropists in the UK, in my opinion. I love them so much because I feel like they put artists at the front of things way ahead of everything else. It's like always the art and always the artist. They prioritise that. And their sculpture park, I mean, everybody just go. That's all I can say is please, please go. And I remember in that cafe, there was a whole series of paintings you did of like apples that had kind of like worms crawling out. Of yes, them. I, yes. I don't know why, but that's really sticks in my mind. I hope that's accurate. <laughs> I made that specifically for the, the space. I mean, yeah, they, they really wanted to do, you know, this full-on kind of cafe uh, with like the plates and the tables and uh, so there was I mean there was a huge work to do actually it took like a good year probably because all the tables are hand painted uh, and then there's a glass on top and we did the, the, the ceramics and we decided all the lamps and the bars and like even the design of the menu and everything it was like it was it was a really great project um, i will not do that every every year because it takes a big chunk of your time <laughs> yeah of course. but uh but you do really, it by yourself really you do it all by yourself you don't have a team or do you travel with a team now so when we did that someone else came with me we were two doing the murals uh and actually all the, the there was this trompe-l'oeil kind of uh malachite stuff on the table that was done with sarah magnetti a friend of mine in brussels that's always been doing the um, the kind of the full marble and full kind of kind of effects on the, on the different object that i've been doing I, I i mean i don't really have a team of like mural or whatever because it's i mean at the studio we it's a small you know like uh, we only like four people i guess in the but you can say like it's more than a lot of other studios but uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. uh it's less than some others but because i paint everything so i don't need anybody that it's not a production studio right so like it, people have a lot a big studio with usually sculptures like we if you have to do a lot of production with complex material but because my studio is mainly painting it's you know and i paint them myself i don't need 10 assistants like painting my stuff but when i do a mural yeah that's very likely that it's people around Got it, got it, got it. See, we find you in New York right now. Yes, I'm in New York, exactly. It's a, a beautiful February day. It's crisp and very sunny. <laughs> per the perfect New York weather. But you, as Rob said, you were born in 1980 in Lausanne, in Geneva, in Switzerland, and you were literally born on a lake. This this town is, <laughs> is on a lake. I've done some research on it, and it's home of the International Olympic Committee headquarters. So was there a pressure you've become an artist and you were born in Switzerland was there a pressure to go into sports if that's kind of like the Olympic center of the world <laughs> <laughs> well if there's one thing that Switzerland is not really famous for it's sports actually <laughs> it's, oh, really? it's too small well you know so they don't have really like I mean there's Roger Federer and there was a bunch of ski athletes at some points but uh, it's kind of small so it's not really like you know like a big tradition of 
very famous athletes or like even the league, the football league or whatever. It's not like a huge thing. Right, right. But uh, I mean, I think it's the, the, the Olympic thing is because it's neutral. There's also like the Red Cross, UNICEF, in, there's the, because Switzerland has this very long history of being neutral, uh, at least <laughs> on the paper. So there's, you know, like in the, after the Second World War, even before there was a lot of kind of organization, organization that is based mainly in Geneva, actually. But the, yeah, the Olympic kind of committee with all the things attached to its arc it's, it's basically and there's a museum there that is i mean kind of i mean it's kind of interesting i mean i'm not a huge kind of uh, <laughs> olympic kind of uh, person but uh yeah it's kind of it's something that is uh, that is in in lausanne i think what is actually maybe the most interesting thing for <laughs> for us like uh, artist lover in, in lausanne is the um the art art Brit museum you know like the kind of uh, and basically like is the dupuffet collection uh, you know, he was collecting kind of arts and there's all those kind of different works. Outsider artists the... and outlier exactly. artists, yeah. Exactly. And he's the first one that collected them, you know, like a lot. And he basically gave, he had this kind of relationship with this kind of doctor and basically gave his entire collection in, in Lausanne. And they made the first kind of outsider museum. So basically the first outside museum was in Lausanne and it's like an incredible museum and an incredible resource. Now there's like museums like that more or less everywhere. But, um, and there's like all the kind of the famous kind of Dogger and like, you know, like all Henry Dogger, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like famous kind of outsider artists that, um, historical artists that are very well represented. And it's really, really an incredible place. It's like in this kind of old house. It's really, and really incredible museums. That's really a special, because Lausanne is obviously a small place. So this, but you know, Switzerland, because all the money tradition there, there's, there's, you know, Basel, Zurich, they, they have incredible collections of, of art in the museums and so Lausanne have a little bit of something. But Would you have, would this museum been open, this was open in the 60s then, I take it, or 70s, this museum? Yeah, I think they made the museum back, yeah, back so then. So as, as a kid, would you, have, would you have gone there and how did you find art in this town you grew up in? Yeah, like that was typically like a school trip that you will do. Like you will go and you will be like, wow. Because, you know, I think for kids, outside art or folk art is definitely something that you can get pretty kind of directly like it's there's so much energy so it's so direct um and there's maybe less this the heavy skill things that you kind of intimidated by or something so that was like yeah that was an incredible i have incredible memories and every time someone comes into town i'm saying like you have to go and often people are not disappointed I've, i'm not telling people to go to the the, the olympic museum maybe i should <laughs> but no uh, no no do, the, do the, do the buffet <laughs> one that's yeah that's my choice yeah, no, it's a fantastic museum. Like, it's really fantastic. But how did you find art where you were from then? How did that come into your life and you realized that you wanted to pursue that? Um, like every time I get asked this question of, like, you know, when an artist discover, like, or when you kind of start to make art, I'm, I'm more like kind of answering in the back, not in the backward way, but like I think like, you know, every children basically makes art like the children's life is very creative. Like you, the way you play, the way you interact with the world, with objects, it's, it's, you kind of create walls all day long. And very often the first few years of education is basically creative. Like you make little, like, you know, obviously painting collages, like little sculptures, but a lot of games that are very creative. You create, like, you know, you, Played, like you're gonna be a knife, you could be a knife, a knight, um, <laughs> a knife, a knife, knife too, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's really incredible to witness. And I think, like, what's often happening is that while when you grow up, like most people just stop doing this, you know, as their main, you know, daily kind of, uh, and artists 
they just keep doing it. That's the only difference. <laughs> you never really <laughs> grow up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you never really grow. And you keep, you basically, you kind of, I guess you feel comfortable enough doing that. And so you keep doing it. And if you're lucky, like I was during this kind of journey, like you get to do that all the time. But it's really not really a decision. You just keep doing it, and you're like, "Well, I guess I can do it." <laughs> you know, there's, there's something about that as well that like inspires that kind of memory within adults who maybe are doing different professions where they're not um, using their creativity or their imagination as much. You know, if they like work in a bank or they work in I don't know. Um, I, I like that about artworks that actually like reinvigorate people's memory of childhood or play or fun and when I first discovered your work around the time of um, Jupiter Artland actually I'd already seen a few paintings here and there but it was at Russell's flat in London and he had a mirror that um that has these two ears and I think it's called mirror with snail mm. and it's a bronze <laughs> um a bronze actually like the frame of the mirror is made out of bronze but it's got this mirror inside and it really reminded me of kind of like fairy tales and sort of like Cinderella mirror, mirror or, on the wall yeah, yeah, yeah or like yeah. or like but the bad apple like biting the apple and mm. those kind of things but it was so fun and also Russell's known for his trademark ears his nickname is actually ears and um <laughs> and it was almost like a portrait of him it was quite surreal when you looked in the mirror and you suddenly see these ears on the side how did that work <laughs> try, it, try being me <laughs> that's my daily existence yeah and it had like a snail on the top and like a little kind of like a caricature penis on the bottom it all felt oh, I, yes, love it. I, I love it about that. yeah uh, yeah the, i made that mirror for the the show i did uh, in the magritte museum like um, a few years ago uh, and um, somehow, like, yeah, I turned out to, to like to this mirror because, like, yeah, the snail, the here is in this kind of like handle that can be can be seen as a penis. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that, that's kind of one of the kind of only object that I did like that. But uh, yeah, I could actually talking about it make me feel like I should like do. A, yeah, I love that little object, and it was very fun to have it in the Maggot Museum because I mean it echoes like this kind of surreal objects. He did like few sculptures. I mean it was it was it was an incredible project because I, I, I had the chance to put my work in the museum. So I mean what I, the project was actually kind of funny because the basically like the you know there's the Maggot Museums in Brussels and I was living in Brussels back then, and basically a bunch of paintings were going to Chicago I think or San Francisco. I think it was Chicago for like a big Magritte shows. So basically there was all those kind of empty slots on the museums and they were like oh what are we going to do <laughs> with that and uh, basically like uh, asked me if I could like just basically fill the uh, <laughs> the holes where all the Magritte were, were missing. <laughs> so that was like kind of the and, and I was like okay that sounds amazing and uh, a little bit intimidating obviously but um, I just took it more as like a, as a fun project, uh, and I did I did almost all the paintings kind of really directly in, in connection with uh, with and I, that's why also I used like this trompeur and actually did a mural in the staircase that is still there. Uh, is it? Like a, but he must yeah. be Magritte must be a hero for you because you definitely share this surrealism tonality that goes through all the practice. Is is was that is is Magritte someone that you've looked to in your own work? Yeah, like I, so. There's a museum that is very dear to me in my hometown, Lausanne. That's called Fondation de l'Hermitage, which is kind of private oh, foundation. Yeah. But there's a they really it's more like impressionist, but they do like kind of two shows a year, I think. But often the kind of big kind of shows. Um, and basically, my parents kind of 
best friends were basically the kind of janitors of that of that museums wow. and they lived basically and the wife was doing the cafe and basically they lived they had like a little almost cottage house pretty amazing little house next to this museum on the hill that's kind of i mean it's a beautiful place and uh, and basically because they, my friends were my parents were friends with the people working the janitors and museums i was always going there and i was seeing all the shows which was a big kind of part of my childhood because there was a it was a park there and basically I would go to see the shows and there was a show I think in eighty nine or something a big Magritte show and I remember and my I grew up with the uh, one of the poster in my kind of living room my parents got the poster and uh, yeah that, that was like an amazing and it, there's a bunch of shows that I really kind of mark, mark my childhood but uh, Magritte was and then like. Magritte is such a big kind of figure in, 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 and then you go back and forth with it. And like when I moved to Brussels, like I, I went to the museums and I, I kind of discovered new works. I mean, I think like in the maybe 90s or something, there was a big rediscovery of the period, period Vache, you know, when it's like you had this kind of oh, yeah. more expressive, kind of very strange kind of period of Magritte. I mean, when you go to see the Magritte Museum, actually, from because it's kind of a chronological kind of hanging, you see this, it's, 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 it's a pretty amazing artist. Like, it's not only the uh, very famous iconic images, which are really amazing, but they can, he has a little bit of the uh, the curse of being used so much into merchandising and umbrellas mm -hmm. and like, and mugs that sometimes when you see the real painting, you're a little bit like, oh, that's the same one that I have on my mug. <laughs> and so, but it, nevertheless, they're great paintings. If there's, they, if they're, you know, if something looks so great in the mug, that's at the at the start, it has to look very good on the, on the canvas. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but anyway, there's a lot of different things, and there's there's a lot of things that are less known that are really kind of really amazing, very creative, very funny. And this Belgium living, you know, I lived in in Brussels for a few years, and this very strange surreal humor is like. A, very very real there <laughs> i love it <laughs> you've moved around a lot because we met I, I met you in 2019 in glasgow and you did your ba in switzerland in your hometown and then you did your mfa at glasgow what was it that brought you to scotland then to do that what was it about the school in glasgow that was the big pull for you yeah, that's always like that was always the question. I was like, why are you in Glasgow? <laughs> like from Switzerland, like but you should why not? I mean, why not was... that won the schools in London? What was it about the Glasgow school? Yeah, that was like yeah, Paris, London, I guess Berlin. I mean schools were maybe less kind of like known then, but uh but for sure like Paris and, and, and London was were the main kind of uh uh I mean what happened is like I asked one of my tutor, like Philippe de Croza, like an artist from my hometown, and he told me like it literally told me, oh, like this, and it was in, I guess, in 2001 or two or three or whatever, like when this, I heard that. And uh, he told me, oh, there's like this great gallery, the Modern Institutes, uh, and he followed like a bunch of artists. He was from this generation of like Jim Lambie and John Tatum and Thomas Sullivan and Martin Boris. And he said like, oh, there's this great gallery, like uh, early 2000, and there's a great school. And he I guess I was just very like uh, listen to my tutors, where right? I was like, oh, okay, my <laughs> this he, he's not even he's not even much older than me, maybe like six years older, and uh, but you know at school like whatever like when you're a kid and you like if 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 you teacher that you kind of like respect and admire you, like whatever they say you're gonna be like okay so I I said like oh I guess I need to go to Glasgow <laughs> and I applied once I got, I got I got rejected and I, and I didn't apply to any anywhere else it was very strange. I applied this, you know, Glasgow, like they, they said no for the first time. And then the second year I reapplied and this, they said yes, and I went there. <laughs> and so that was the, the first, uh, and that, that's kind of, 
I mean, I wanted to leave Switzerland. That was very clear to me because I, I somehow also I knew that I had to kind of I wanted to learn English. I wanted to kind of see things around. And uh, and when I moved to Glasgow, like after like two years of school, like the 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 big thing was to not coming back because it was. It was, you know, Switzerland is very comfortable. Like, obviously, like it's easy to find a teaching job, or like, you know, like the the old system is pretty kind of comfortable for like a middle class kind of white guy like me. Like, if you Glasgow for me, like after school was <laughs> very kind of hard in a way, because like finding little jobs. I mean, it was kind of little, it was much harder for me. You know, like my English was not great, and um, but anyway, I you know, like as many others, like I, I kind of struggled a little bit, and and I stayed for six years, and I was long enough to be like okay i'm not going back to switzerland because most of my friends that left switzerland after school especially berlin or paris they all came back after a few years because it was like well jobs are much better in switzerland we still have friends there and i was like a, i mean anyway it was in my personal life and career was a huge thing to be like you know what i need to cut it out <laughs> to like the comfort of switzerland need to be like how removed did you, how did you cope with the rejection of, of being turned away in the first year you know, if you if you were planning to go Glasgow, you'd set yourself up, and they said no for the first year. How did you keep the focus? It was kind of okay, I guess, because I had a girlfriend then, and it was actually, you know, it was a good relationship. So it was like kind of almost relieved. It was like, okay, I can like still stay here. And also at that point, we were like, it was, I guess, then a year after art school, and we had like an, an art space in in Switzerland. We opened a gallery. We were organizing concerts in all the post-art school shebang <laughs> it was super fun so actually like the two years or three years after art school i stayed in switzerland because i got rejected it was actually kind of a blessing because i had to really kind of live um a really amazing kind of you know like kind of bohemians like in, in a in a context because the bohemian in, in glasgow was slight it was definitely a little bit rougher for me anyway because uh glasgow is slightly you know, like it's, it could be sometimes a little bit difficult. <laughs> just, nice, just the nice way, you know, nice like. way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you, when you were in Scotland, did you, did, did it kind of introduce you to any types of art or artists that you weren't familiar before? Because I know there's like a rich history there of, of kind of different Scottish artists. I mean, the, what was the, the huge revelations when I moved to Glasgow was to, so I was kind of young in my mid-20s, and was mm. to discover, because it was the MFA, right, and it was pe- people from everywhere, people from the US, people from Scandinavia, from Asia, from different places in Europe. And uh, it was interesting because everybody came with their own set of reference that they thought everybody should, there was, you know, there were the big deal artists. And I was the same. I was like, I, you know, I did my art school with a bunch of teachers telling me like, well, this is like really an important artist and this is what it is. And, you know, like, and I discovered that everybody had that same, and I was like, oh, actually there's millions of, <laughs> I mean, millions, not millions, but there's all those different people coming with their very set of reference that they feel is like, oh, if, you know, like the classic, do you know, like this artist? And it's like, no, it's like, really? I mean, he's super famous. And it's like, and you don't, you never heard about him, right? And I, I, I found it like really re- a big relief. I was like, oh, so that means there's so much to discover. And there's like all those different, and I feel like every time you travel to a country, like to a, a museum's, Every country has their famous artists, right? That are usually known. And the US is the same. People think it's like it's the famous, you know, like, oh, if you make it in New York, you make it anywhere. That's completely not true. Most of the artists that are very known in the US, especially market wise, absolutely have, nobody knows them in Europe. Yeah. They never had shows or anything. It's, it is yeah. a, every art scene is fairly, in a way, local. 
and mm. uh, and it's and it's so you have to go the, to places to discover that those amazing kind of uh, artists because there's always hidden gems everywhere. I know it's endless. I think that's why we love doing talk art. I remember after the first season, someone was like, "Oh, you must be done now. Like you've interviewed everyone there is to interview." I was like, "Uh, do you have any idea? Like, mm. I discover artists daily via Russell Tovey. It's never going to end." Um, uh, also, so right now you have an exhibition in Brussels. The, the, in, in Brussels, in the in the place where you were living, at Xavier Hufkins, who's an amazing gallerist who's shown some of the greatest artists ever. Like he was one of the champions for Louise Bourgeois way before anyone else was championing Louise's mm. work. Um, so your show is called Cascades, and it runs through to March. And in that show, there seems to be lots of connections to other historical artists. Like my favorite artist ever is Hieronymus Bosch. And I've done the pilgrimage to Madrid and seen the um, Earthly Delights installation, <laughs> which blew my mind. Um, can you talk a bit about this new show and these connections to history, in particular, the triptych? I know that's like a important thing. Yeah, I do love, I mean, I think like a lot of artists, but uh, like uh, I, I look at art a lot and I, and I really look at it not with as a, as a, in an academic way, more like as a very intuitive, passionate love where like if I see something that I love, I, I look at it. Sometimes I go deep-ish in it, never like super deep by reading like, you know, 15 books about it. And like I think in the, in the show in Brussels, it's very actually connected to the last show that I did there where I kind of... It was loosely based on this kind of Flemish painter called Jean van Kessel, uh, which is, you know, it basically like it's, you know, Bosch or Bruegel, all this kind of 1600s kind of Flemish golden age of, of, of paintings. And uh, he was painting all those kind of insects, basically. It was, it's when like science and art was kind of merging a bit. And some mm -hmm. artists were like very much involved in both sides. Like they were like using the tools, uh, you know, like the magnifying glasses and and like really doing painting animals and research that were basically they were doing at the same time scientific illustrations and paintings and Jean van Kessel is one of those very interesting artists another artist that I love it's uh, Otto Marsus von Schrick I mean they're a little bit obscure artists but uh, nevertheless very <laughs> cool artists mm -hmm. from kind of that area and it turned out that Jean van, uh, Jean van Kessel was doing a lot of paints on copper Copper uh, was like a material that was used for many reasons, but because it was very hard and flat, so very soft for detail painting, very small detail painting. Insects typically are like very little still life. Actually, Bruegel did a bunch of those, mm -hmm. like very small landscapes. It was very good. Also, they, they were reusing basically the back of like uh, etching plates often. So they, they were kind of recycling kind of material uh, and it was kind of easy to prepare. Uh, and from basically my little like journey into those kind of little like artists, I started to kind of try to paint on copper and, uh, and mm -hmm. I tried and uh, cause I kind of stopped oil painting when I did pastel and I kind of wanted to come back to it. And so that was my kind of way back. So it's my kind of way back into oil painting. So they're very small little oil paintings mixed to the, and they're very kind of directly connected to the, to this kind of golden age of, of Flemish painting. And uh, the cabinets are also very kind of connected to the tradition of the altar, the church altar that is uh, there's a heavily presence in, in, in the Flemish, in Orleans, all those kind of very famous kind of Van Dyke triptych and, and, and so on. And I, I kind of did the triptych first in Italy, like really referring an object in one of those also like historical museums. So. Anyway, the show in Brussels have all those kind of little connection to those objects. 
And the animals that you've chosen to reference or the nature elements within the show, because there's obviously like bats um, appear or like seahorses, which are my favourite ever. I, I love that. <laughs> snails. Is there snails in and this snails, one? Yeah, the snails return just mm -hmm. from your mirror. They, yeah. always, they've always. like crawled along and ended up in the painting. In but can you talk a bit about the, the significance of these particular like motifs. elements of nature yeah. and motifs? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think when I think about my little family of, of motifs, like some some of them like come and go, some sometimes they stay much longer. I I'm kind of I approach them really as a, as as a as a symbolist kind of almost approach, but without like using really one particular kind of side of the the meaning of whatever symbols have been used in the past. What I, what I love about the snail or the bat or the seahorse. Seahorse has been used a bit less than, let's say, a snail uh, or like a shelf or like it's like it's those kind of objects that have been used in, in literature, in arts and human creation um, in Western culture and other cultures that are less familiar for like thousands of years. And what I love is like the by just taking that object, let's say like a seashell, like you basically almost like take the entire history of how it's been used symbolically uh, and you don't you don't really have to decide where you want th this object to go but you know that the viewer is going to everybody's going to come with their own kind of projection. baggage yeah, projection yeah. of and they're very very kind of charged powerful uh, symbols so like I'm trying always to find a balance of making them like very clear what they are and like not being shy of like oh a shell could represent this and this and this for for people but also i'm trying to leave them open so so you know what, what i see like a lot of things but it's towards my personal kind of you know mm. like knowledge of of what i've been reading what i've been looking and every everybody like comes with their own you know maybe you read something a week before and you're like oh i'm connecting this bat to mm. this or like you know there's all those and that's kind of really what I like about those kind of symbolic kind of elements. In the, in I guess they, the, they, the they stand for what they are. There's not really a hidden meaning. There's not like hieroglyphics. Mm. They are what they are for you. Exactly. And what they are, it's, it's this basically history of sim symbolism in, in human cultures. That's, uh, that's, I really accept it and kind of like, uh, kind of um, happily use without you know i'm not shy about like you know what what's what could be the the, the symbolic of all those objects I'm, mm. I'm kind of i kind of really like it i'm if like i'm saying with if i paint a sun or i paint a tree i'm not saying it's a, or i paint a that will be my un-american way of painting a sun i'm not like oh it's because it's a circle and it's interesting formally like if i paint a sun it's because it's what symbol is i you know like a sunset let's say i use quite often this, this idea of the sunset, if I paint a sunset, it's not just because it's making nice colors. I really believe that if we love looking at a sunset, it's because we actually witness something very special at that particular moment. Mm. And it's not just because, oh, it's pink and we some, somehow we like, it's, it's, we like the colors because it's the only time that you actually witness the movements of Earth during the day. Like right now, if I look at outside, I don't feel like I'm moving. The, is moving but during the sunsets especially if it's you at sea you actually see the movement like like right in your eye like you can see it's like it's turning and that is like i mean it's kind of mind gobbling if you think about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, i don't want to think about it's... it too much really sometimes <laughs> it does get a bit too existential but it, it is like a, yeah, it's like i like that so like if, if i paint a sunset of course like there's you know like the the all the formal aspects i, I love playing with it but i really also want to 
embrace that aspect to it. Yeah. Well, people coming to your work will see these landscapes, the sunsets, the trees. They will see a lot of still lives. There's a lot of, of fruit appears in your work, a lot of pears. I love the pears. They look like really, really <laughs> little sad penises at some point. I love that. <laughs> uh, a lot of portraits, but they're all rendered in, and you mentioned it briefly, in soft pastel. And you must get through truckloads of pastel. But when did you know <laughs> that pastel was your best friend? Uh, I mean, the first time I used it, it was very strange because so before in Glasgow, I was doing a lot of oil painting and I was very slow with it. And it was a little bit frustrating because I was taking some time, five months, six months, and I was layering, changing composition, changing colors constantly. And I was, you know, not really moving fast enough in my, in my, <laughs> in my feeling. And so like I was really, I think, trying to find another medium to just like, you know, like break something in my mm -hmm. practice. Like, I mean, you will have from a lot of art, sometimes you'll be kind of stuck and you need to have something kind of, so you, you want to move on. We, we're not here forever, right? So you can, if you want to explore things, you need to kind of move on. And um, so I, I just went, I saw this show of uh, Picasso from, you know, it's not really a, a pastel artist or even an artist that I kind of revere or whatever, but it's, I just saw like a pastel of his, uh, a little portraits. It's kind of post-cubist kind of period when it's like a bit Botero-esque, it's like very roundy and like kind of very kind of very rendered. Mm -hmm. uh, and he used pastel and he did this this portraits, kind of also very influenced by kind of Greek sculptures. And uh, I just I literally like, oh, I want to do exactly the same thing. And uh, you know, I mean, I'm a person that some, if I see a painting that I love, I just literally want to do the same one and I literally do it. <laughs> I just go and and if it's too similar, I don't really mind. I'm like, well, this is <laughs> if, I, if I couldn't like bring novelty, well, this is, this is my fault. But, you know, that's it. And so but I, I bought the postcard and I went the next day, like, you know, I bought some pastels and some paper and uh, I, I kind of started to copy that postcards. And that's the kind of the first portraits. And like the first thing that I did, the first one, so it's kind of funny because I, I look at this postcard and I started to add makeup uh, to the, the kind of yes. high high shadows and like lipstick. lipstick yeah. And uh, and it kind of came like kind of out of nowhere. And for like almost two years, I was always doing that. And it's very, it's only after that I, that I discovered that the uh, this particular medium has, has a very kind of close relationship to makeup. Um, and so that was there was something very kind of natural to for me to investigate with the portraits my relationship with gender with makeup with what is a face how you define you know masculinity or femininity and which was again like very naturally driven to the history of this particular medium in the uh, in the 18th century with the rococo and uh, just very briefly the, the at that time, everybody wear like tons of makeup. Basically, everybody was covered, like in the high kind of the people were portrayed. Basically, this white powder, this like pink kind of you know like rosy cheek. cheeks. Yeah, yeah, the the wigs with like powder on it. So when you were painting, basically a, a person, you were painting a painting. You, know, you were like basically, and you were using pastel, which was basically made from the same material. Like the, oh, the vendors that. that were selling pastel were selling makeup too. You can imagine that the, the 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 rendering of a pastel next to the the, the actual people were like, mm. wow, this is really the same thing. It's literally the both same wearing surface. a mask. Yeah. The same surface. Same surface. Texture. I like the fact that there is an androgyny in your work. Like you do have these. It, it is just like an exploration of gender, and your is historical as well. What you're saying, they also tips into like an alien quality that the characters <laughs> have. You know, there is an androgyny, but they do feel 
non-human at times and they're quite their eyes are quite wide at points and they're like staring directly at you is that something also that you've been aware of and really like channeled yeah i think like when and probably like most artists do the same when you start to work you kind of go on a journey to investigate something that you don't know about the work and yourself so i think most artists don't go like they, they don't go in the studio painting thinking like oh I want to express that and I know how to do it. And, you know, in five days, I'm going to finish the painting and that will be exactly said what I plan to set. Like you usually go and you have no idea and you're kind of trying to go with the painting inside yourself, asking you questions. And you, you do, for example, those characters, I, what I wanted to do is to spend time with them. And when I paint them or when I look at them, I'm with them and we have a conversation and I ask them things. They ask me things and we, we hang out during what the day. Do ask, what do you ask them? What do they, what do they ask you? And, how, and how many characters do you have? Do you have like a, a family now that you go back to every time or does suddenly a new child appear? I think it's more or less the same person. You know, okay. like it's kind of sometimes they like portraiture is like always some sort of an extent of yourself. Um, and it's you exploring different sides of yourself that uh, that you maybe don't explore in your real life, but with with art, you know, it's like in in any fictions or anything creation. Very often you explore a character that you can't explore in your in your daily life mm. uh, for whatever reason. And in, in your art, you can, you know, like if write murder stories, like you can you can create like all those characters. Mm. Every every characters that a novelist create is kind of themselves in a way like they always say like uh, the famous Tintin uh, like Hergé like every Hergé was every character in, in the book basically was yeah, he, but he created them himself. all so they all came from him but they're all exactly, very yeah. they're all very confident your characters they're always either connecting with you directly they're, ne they're never shying away they're never you know if you see them from behind you might be seeing their bum and they're aware <laughs> they're aware you're looking at them there there is a real confidence that goes through the portraiture especially for the characters they're not they're not humble they're they're very almost cocky almost saying come on stare at me yeah performative yeah performative yeah. yeah i think they're like very they're staring very strongly and they have a very strong presence also because of the colors and like kind of their attitudes they're like you know they, they don't also they don't really have much vulnerability or emotions yeah they're not is, vulnerable they're not vulnerable no. at all no but they're also kind of like not present. I feel like they're a little bit like they have a presence that is almost like kind of behind you. Like they're, they're, they feel a bit like a facade, like a mask that is very, very strong. But actually behind that, it's kind of like we don't really know what, what, what is there. The, because of the, the, the Rococo, the makeup and the mask, but also like the reference to especially Greek more than Roman sculpture where like the face is like a very idealistic face. And it's so it's also like kind of... A, you know, like a, an aesthetic of strength or an aesthetic that is not realistic was when Rome, Rome sculpt, Roman sculptures is bringing that much more than Greek sculptures. Like, and I felt like in our contemporary world, I think maybe I was, and I'm still influenced by the social media, like the, the, the present, the filters, you know, the Photoshop figure that is also like a little bit of that present that is, or the 3D kind of, you know, like most of the movies now, like half of the characters are like a CGI real. <laughs> quality sort of thing. Yeah, always, and so they have like this very strong presence, but yeah. behind them, it's kind of like it's just nothing. It's like kind of so maybe there's there's, there's a bunch of that in in, in them. I, I think about that actually when you think about your sculpture. So when did the series of heads and busts 
like start to appear because you you also as well as making these like 2d paintings you make these kind of giant busts which um are often even bigger than you know they're, they're huge aren't they of these heads like how how did that that body of work appear because that that seems connected and, and these are made with paint aren't they they're not pastel these ones no, those are painted, exactly. Those are oil painted, yeah. I think it's, like, what happened is that because I was looking, I think, a lot of uh, Greek sculptures when I was doing those portraits, I guess I was naturally drawn to be like, oh, it could be fun to <laughs> do a, a kind of a bust or something. And I think, like, the first that I did was in Oxford, in modern art Oxfords. And so I, I wanted to make most of the work not a sculpture but a painting but still be an object. So, like, the shape of the heads was a very generic... So the, the, I think the, I only had two shapes. The one is the, the first one is at the Oxfords, and they, they have a it's slightly different than the new ones. Uh, and then I did like a few different shapes with different cuts. But it's but if it's not painted, it's really not. I will not say it's a very interesting <laughs> form. It's really like a doll or like a kind of mannequin mm. type head. It's very kind of they, they don't really have any character. When it when they're painted, they become something that is kind of that has a little bit more of a personality or a character mm. but um, so that that was kind of the idea was really to try to find a way to have those presents that I have in the pastel but in the space which it's i always kind of wanted to have a little bit of objects in um, in my practice even if i really not a sculpture and i'm really pretty terrible actually uh, modeling or whatever like i'd love to be better but like uh, it's, it's hard but when you do shows, it's really fantastic to have objects. Like if you only have paintings, it's it's actually kind of kind of hard to do. Especially if you do, and I love doing shows, so I do usually quite a lot of shows during the year. And if it's if the space is big, if like there's different rooms, if you have objects, it's really save you it saves you day because only hanging painting can be hard. It can be like a little bit dry and a little bit mm. kind of. I mean, in my just in that's personal. Like in because I want to have fun when I install shows and I want to have a journey of excitement making it there, are, there is a lot of fun and humor that goes through all your practice and th these giant heads are on these kind of marble plinths but they're trump loyal and you mentioned that a couple of times and i would love for people listening because i only really discovered what it meant a couple of years ago isn't um, it loy babe well i can't even say it right there you go i don't trump even know loy. it's because of domestics oi trump loyal Trump, Trump loyal, Trump loyal. <laughs> yeah. So Trump loyal. the first time I came across it was um, it's more like oi. Trump loyal um, was <laughs> Gavin Turk had made something called hobo, which looked like someone in a sleeping bag, but it's made out of bronze. And I didn't realize till later on that the term for it was Trump loyal. So what is Trump loyal, and how did historically what is that, and how did that come into your practice, and why is that important? Yeah, I mean, it's so the, the actually the term trompe l'oeil, trompe l'oeil is in French means, you know, oeil is the eye and, and trompe is cheating. So it's like cheating the eye. That's, ah. that's, that's what it means. And, but, so, but, and the term actually is a kind of early 1800s term. This was actually created by an artist, Boy, that's kind of sticked from that. But obviously, Trompe l'oeil kind of, and Boy actually, it's an also an artist that I love that I did a show in Dijon, the consortium very, based on his, mm -hmm. like a great also artist that is not super well known from the kind of 1800s. Anyway, but the, he did great Trompe l'oeil, as you can, like basically, like the, at that time, what is kind of known is like the, uh, the back of canvas is painted, you know, like you, you see like what you feel is the back of again of this old trompe-l'oeil and there's like also all those kind of like um, bands with like kind of postcards and like notes 
dollar bill. But the trompe l'oeil history is very as old as art almost. Like it's, you know, like think about, the main thing is think about just with the Renaissance, like this literally painted marble and painting architecture um, that is like painted everywhere. And there's, I think there's obviously like the uh, symbolic and the metaphors of what is a trompe l'oeil and especially like with the invention of perspective, what's, you know, perspective is obviously a, a tool to create and gimmick a space, but it's also like a metaphoric kind of space that goes very directly in tight with what in the Renaissance religion and humanists are trying to tell about what is God and what is, and the perspective is like really like an extension of this world into like a, a spiritual world, uh, which is very different than the flat world of that is kind of different, like from before. And so basically the trompe l'oeil is also like very uh, used in the churches to basically like, the marble is very, uh, very specific for that because having curved the marble is very expensive and very complicated. So if you can paint it, like basically, if you see any kind of churches, like usually 30% at least is painted. You don't sometimes notice it, but it's everything that is curved usually is painted because it will be so expensive and complicated to cut slabs oh, wow. like curved <laughs> that they're painted. And uh, also columns, sometimes they're, they're painted because it will be like super expensive to have those like big block of marbles. And so I'm loving all those kind of fun geekiness about history of art and all those kind of difference. I started to do trompe-l'oeil marble when I met my, like I met when my friend Sarah Magnetti went to Brussels to basically study at the Van der Kellen Institute, which she kind of went because Lucy Mackenzie, another Glaswegian artist, great, fantastic yeah. artist that used trompe-l'oeil a lot in her um, practice. Yeah, yeah. So she basically, Sarah Magnetti, this friend from Switzerland, loved her work. She's like, I want to go to the school that she did to learn that, that, um, that skill. And it's basically the most interesting school. It's basically one year and they learn like 20 woods and 20 marbles. They have like white gowns. They have to put their phones on little baskets. They don't put the eating on. It's like the most old fashioned school you can ever imagine. It's like run by the same family, the Van der Kellen. And basically, like after after like those this year, you know how to do it. And so, like when she she was doing it in uh, in, in Brussels, and I started to see it, which was, was like, oh my god, this is so cool! Like, can you come to do a, you know, like can you do use your skill for one of my show? And she was like, yeah, that's she she wanted to learn it from her, for her practice, but also she wanted to learn it to basically like use it in different decorate decorative kind of projects or different artists. So we did a show in uh, Cannes Neuchâtel, a museum in Neuchâtel in Switzerland. That was the first time we used it. And that was like, yeah, amazing. Also like kind of love for this kind of technique uh, and working with her was great. So then I did, I think the Hammer Museum. I used, I, used, I, used, I used it a lot actually, like still to this date. Also it's, for me, it's an amazing part of doing mural because I don't do it. So it's, because, <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, so the, most of the murals I do it, and it's sometimes a bit taxing because it's, it takes so much time. It's very physical. So like one, it's one part of the mural that I don't do. So it's like really sometimes like oh great, so that part of the mural, or like the, 
yeah, that's yeah. like pro- you do as producing. much as possible with Trump lawyers, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I always think about Martin Margiela as well with Trump lawyers because I feel like he he took that into a fashion context from Belgium. There seems to be like always this fascination from Belgium as well, and obviously like I guess Magritte and Magritte. There's a lot of Trump lawyer. Yeah, yeah a yeah, lot yeah. of it. Because yeah, that's yeah. actually where I first ever saw Trump lawyer. I think is in the Magritte painting. I remember it as a child. Well, he does, he does all those objects, you know, like the bottles made out of stones, or like yeah. you know, like there's all those kind of things that are like that. And it's basically, yeah, very heavily put it in the kind of history of Trump lawyer. And, and, and hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's a good way of like opening your mind, isn't it, to to like a different reality? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, at the end like art is there's a lot about magic and trickery and like you know how the viewer loves to be kind of cheated, you know, like you know you you know you're getting cheated. So you know a magic trick is always that you know it's a magic trick, but nevertheless you love you know like and there's like a joy, isn't there? Like a pleasure. Yeah, 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 and you know like some arts are very, but painting is very heavily based on that because you know it's flat and you know it's you know nothing else than just a few marks of paint but you still play the game of being like wow this is actually a landscape you know it's not a landscape it's a bunch of like marks of paints i always felt that with photography as well like there's certain contemporary photographers even even like if you think of really obvious ones like sujimoto but where you see the kind of like repeated like um, horizon lines yeah there's actually something so pleasing about it because it's almost like a moment of calm Mm -hmm. and um serenity that when you are stood in front of a sea and you see that for yourself you all go oh lovely and but you're sort of capturing that and then you get to hang it in your house or you see it in a museum or and then it it constantly creates that that kind of like emotion of serenity in just through like the window of the photo and I felt like that in your show at Xavier Hufkins currently in um in Belgium like those horizon lines it's such a kind of pleasing thing and it's mm. in both pastel but also in oil where you, you you do it over and over again within that show this kind of like horizon that's almost like floating and it feels like you're being pulled into it like the edge of a waterfall or something like it's about to drop off it's really seductive yeah, but that's that's yeah that's a, that's a very good uh, way to put it, and it's because the show called Cascades, you know, basically it's waterfall. Yeah. So there's this 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 idea of like you know like a waterfall is this moment where there's obviously an edge and like the gravity and the the quality of what water is is just like falling, and there's you know a long kind of again it's it's a theme and a subject that is there's a long tradition actually especially in in, in Asia like it's a very loved kind of. Uh, a theme but again like there's there's so much that you can project on you know the idea what is water what is like this cut into the lens like and it kind of crashed and this evaporates and this 
connected to life to the connected to things that are kind of passing and that's what i love about all those kind of subjects like you can you know horizon is the same thing it's like you know it's the it's the line it's what you see the the, the curve of earth it's it's pretty amazing when you mm. think about it like it's the famous scene in the in the you know like in when they discover like they, they see a boat's kind of you know disappearing and they're like hmm, this is strange <laughs> and then you realize you realize oh it's actually curved again it's like you it's only when you're at the sea and you see the horizon horizon on, on the sea that you can understand that the earth is actually like i mean now with the plane it's maybe you can see a little bit too but <laughs> back in the days less and uh, that that i love those kind of things and because like i, I love the idea that art brings you with the trickery, the seduction of colors, the sensuality of, of shapes and, you know, like really kind of like seducing your eyes and like flirting with you and like pull, pulling you in that little room, this square. And then like if the person wants can go like, you know, very far into like great extent of, of you know, existential kind of questions or not but uh, again I, terrifying I terrifying questions especially if you're, <laughs> if you're drunk and lying on your back in a field looking up at the stars <laughs> uh, that, that always <laughs> a very scary moment you can possibly bring on yourself <laughs> so when i met you in 2019 it was at the modern institute gallery uh through toby who uh, runs that who is a legend and since then you have now got six galleries that you are represented by and that's a lot of galleries nicholas what how does that work <laughs> with scheduling with demand for work because you're very commercially like internationally successful you're critically successful there's a lot of you know you, you do a lot of exhibitions and museum shows and you're like top of the game do you feel a responsibility to give work to every gallery and how do you do that do you work towards exhibitions or do you constantly make work outside of a body of work for a show what is your life like, <laughs> your studio practice like? So the studio, the artist life of, of me right now, it's, it's, yeah, it's very professionalized in a way. Like, uh, but in, in, a, in a, my part is very good because I come to the studio, but I need to work a lot to yeah, do all these projects. So I need to come every day and like, you know, work pretty seriously of, of, you know, in terms of, I can't just like, I don't, I don't get a lot of studio visits typically. Like I'm just coming here and I work kind of a lot to be, to be able to do all the, 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 the shows. Because the thing is, the reality is like I've always, as many of our friends, artists or friends, you know, like having shows is what you want. You kind of, and every time someone asks you something, you always feel extremely kind of grateful and mm. lucky. You feel like, oh, amazing. Someone wants to... And it's you never take it as granted as like oh again like you know you've always, and it's impossible to say no someone wants to do something it's amazing it's like you know, like it's what I've been wanted all my life and I also know so so many of my friends they don't get that many shows that the only thing they want is to get shows I will feel terrible to say like no to anything of course sometimes you scheduling is hard but always knew that that at some point, you know, things slow down, you get older, whatever, like you, you know, you get less demand. But when you have a lot of people asking you, like, I feel it's kind of almost a duty to say like, sure, I'll, I'll do it, you know, and I'm, I'm going to work as hard as possible to every time make the most interesting show that I, that I can, you know, like sometimes it's not great, but hopefully, you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's good sometimes. And, uh, and the gallery was a bit of a similar thing. Like every time, you know, a gallery came to ask me to work, work with me. I mean, I think, more or less, I mean, that's a slight lie, but it's more, more or less all the galleries that I work with are the people that ask me. There's maybe one or two other ones that I said no at the end, but, you know, like there was the Morning Institute and there was Gregor Steiger and then there was uh, 
Kaufman Repito, and then there was Karma, and then there was Xavier Ofkins, and then Hauser and Wirth. I think people sometimes will think like, oh, like you had like a lot of demand. No, there was actually more or less, it was always just this person. I never get, I never got like 10 people asking me and I had to choose between 10. It was only one. And I'd say, okay, <laughs> that sounds amazing. And, uh, and, and it was always a great relationship. Of course, at the end when Hauser, much bigger gallery, like, and there was five other galleries, the idea was probably to scale down, you know, to make the, this entire operation a little bit like <laughs> more practical. But uh, I felt like it was it was too hard to kind of cut tight with uh, with those amazing partners that I've been working with. You know, like every partners provide you something different. Of course, you build mm. a friendship. It becomes obviously much more than than work because if you work a lot, like uh, as you know, like your friends becomes <laughs> you kind of work partners. Yeah, basically. yeah, become family and everything. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. it's like a wedding. Exactly, isn't it? it's like a marriage. It I mean, going into it, it is, and you know, they, they, they you you start to grow up together. Like people have kids in the same time, and it's you start to be like, well, it will. So I, I always feel like, well, I can just try to basically make all this. I use my very uh, Swiss diplomatic skills to make this. And it's not easy every day, but it's possible. <laughs> but sometimes, I guess twice a year, I need to have like a big kind of strategic kind of discussion with everybody to <laughs> well, make yeah. everybody at peace. <laughs> well, yeah, well, of course, because people listening might not realize or do realize that when it comes to selling art, the artist will traditionally get 50% of the price of the artwork. And then the gallery will get 50%. But then some artists have uh, a main gallery who might get a percentage cut of that work wherever it's shown. So I guess it's down to your studio manager. You probably step away from it now to negotiate all of those little cuts to all the galleries now, because I'm sure there's people that, you know, you get your cut. Yeah, exactly. Like the, that, I mean, that's what happened with uh, when I first started to work the Morning Institute. There was this kind of uh, because it was my first gallery for for a few years. They were taking ten percent of yeah. the uh, other sales. That's what that's what happens a lot. And then we removed that and now everybody's exactly the same. It's it's very simple. It's kind of like everybody gets 50, 50, 50, yeah. 50. And it, there's no like strange. I mean, my situation is, is very, in a way, very simple, but it, it just require like, you know, a little bit of <laughs> talk here and there. And like, but, you know, at the end of the day, like everybody's working toward the same goal. All those galleries have a lot of artists and, you know, like everybody's like trying to, make good projects uh, and if it's you know I've, I've been so fortunate and so lucky to have such great opportunities that uh, i feel like everybody should just be like oh, this is great and just let's exactly keep, keep and it all feeds each other i yeah. think people need to stop being so sort of protectionist whatever the word is like trying to keep their thing to themselves because actually the more you collaborate and the more open you are especially in art it all feeds each other and then mm. you know it just makes the whole thing I think it's a very like uh, I mean it depends of the, of, of the stage of a career. I can, I understand that I don't know Gerhard Richter like you know I mean he, you know having one gallery that's maybe that's fine you know like uh, but when you in your forties or especially in your thirties, you, having one gallery or like two I think it can be like I think it's much better like they're, because they all they all they all fight for you. They, they, the only thing they want is to find new projects so they can get work and you know it's fun. So basically, like the more you have, the more projects interesting things. You, and every gallery have have very different relationship with creators, different places in the world. Like you know, like have a gallery in Italy. How amazing is this? You know, I can get get to projects or go there. Like it's you know obviously the best place Meat to pasta. do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Meat pasta, yeah. 
Um, behind you right now in your studio, behind, we, we can see like little works. I can see them on the wall. There, there, there's some of this kind of series, which I think in the Xavier Huffkins show are called Red Forest, which to oh, me yeah. looked like kind of like almost like Los Angeles forest kind of burning yeah, or yeah, something yeah. or some kind of like fantastical realm. Maybe there's like some kind of fantastical uh, war. Lord of the Rings going or something. Yeah. yeah, that kind of a thing. <laughs> but well, how difficult is it to paint that kind of red because i feel like i remember talking years and years and years ago to um john McAllister all about he used to do a whole series of like burning houses and isn't it really hard to like paint kind of like flames or like maybe not for you i don't know i always remember it being a kind of like on a skill level i think like interesting i i no i, I don't like um i didn't i find it like ex extremely actually um fun it will not be the right word because the subject is a little bit grim but it's been very exciting because it's like all those like dots and like all the, and it's actually like in terms of the colors it's only like uh, less colors than some of the other pastels so the the complexity of matching colors like you know in terms of how much red and green and whatever it's like slightly less complex so it's a lot more about the the, the fun kind of little marks here and there i mean yeah i've been having having i mean i've been having a lot of really good time doing those uh, those kind of uh, fire paintings and they're they're very intense in terms of colors because the pastel of you know it's such a rich medium because it's pure pigments so the red and the yellow and the, they're like very very powerful and they really started like a new way of working for me like a more like kind of mm. post-impressionist kind of Monet kind of because uh, yeah. <laughs> they're much more dotty and less graphic than some other work and I, I did basically the first first forest fire for the show that I had last year in Montreal at the Musée des Beaux-Arts in Montreal basically all the show was about you know a relationship to nature and environment through art, through art history and how paintings through the different centuries have been showing how we, you know, like represent nature and how it shows how our relationship and our perception of nature was. Uh, and basically at some point there was, uh, I wanted to hang a bunch of Flemish painting of, of fires and kind of basically like kind of thing with Sodom and Gomorrah, like the apocalyptic, you know, we always like the, the apocalypse is usually a fire or a flood at the moment, typically it's a flood, but the, the idea of the flood is... <laughs> an old one obviously so basically i felt i'm gonna do a fire painting and uh, it was very clearly inspired by a photo the first one that i showed and then from there like i took more like an archetype of history like probably like uh, th that part of the walls but it could also in asia they have similar forests that are burning that with this that similar type of kind of conifer trees mm, um, which is universal in some ways yeah in some ways like i mean it's a lot of the forest fires have this type of wood actually like because jungles like burn slightly you know less easily in a way i mean still there's mm. forest fires everywhere obviously but you know in those kind of like california obviously it needs to be hot and be higher grounds and mm. those kind of trees are usually growing there and uh, so when there's a fire, like they really catch on fire, like heavily. I love the um, fact that you described, sorry, Rob, I love the fact that you described sorry. art as being fun, how you, you, you seem to have fun in your studio. And we've spoke to a few artists recently that like, they've said that art for them is hard won. A good painting is a struggle. But I've always found with you, there is this element of absolute joy. I, I've seen so many Christmas cards enviously where you've drawn <laughs> postcards and, and birthday cards and they're beautifully like considered. It's not just a simple line. It's like a real work of Nicholas Party art and they're, they're, they're gifts and it feels like art for you is joyful and it's something that you you are incredibly busy but it just brings you joy it doesn't feel like something that is like just to quote myself again hard won 
You, you no, that no, yeah. But I know, I know exactly. I know, I know what you got. You mean I, know, I have friends for sure that uh, describe that and it feels that way. It, it was never the case for me. I was always, if there's one place that I always want to be, it's in my studio and and painting. There's few things. What I will think hard in in my practice is definitely not the the moment that I <laughs> that I paint. You know, like it's like some of other part admin or whatever that I could find it painful yeah, boring, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but every time I paint it's it's never like I mean not that is easy like every time no I mean of course sometimes but I find it like the moment that is hard and when you deblock something you know there's always like a problem that you're trying to resolve and mm. the every time you kind of like manage at least you you perceive it that you kind of deblock that problem it's the most satisfying and like I mean, you get a lot of like, it's like really kind of sport or something. You really get, it's very addictive. Wow. It's like really, and I, I really love like, almost never takes holiday because that's, if I have to choose, that's what I want to do. That <laughs> is your I think you really, I think you really feel that in your installations as yes. well. There's such a joy to the way you put it all together. And when I was researching this episode, we actually had a dinner in my house on the weekend for another artist called Daisy Paris. And one of the collectors that was there was Nikki and Robert Wilson from Jupiter. <laughs> and Nikki said to me that the thing that was really interesting about you was that Nicholas is a demon jigsaw puzzle doer. And apparently you are amazing at putting puzzles together. So like you can have a puzzle, all the t hundreds of pieces, and that you're meant to be amazing at like putting them, assembling them mm. and putting them all into an image, which made so much sense to me. Because if you think about your work, it's all these like disparate elements and different mediums and different materials and different ideas that are all quite fantastical as well as being realistic, but they all sort of come together like a puzzle. Yeah. And it was like, he's, your brain must function in a different way. But also you must love <laughs> I mean, the work if you're going to do murals of that that size and then they're temporary that's the thing that i don't understand is that you put all this work in in some of these venues and then they're just painted over yeah but i do i, I that's a, that's really a part that i love if they were staying i will be like i'm not sure i will do them like i mean sometimes they stay and I'm, i don't really you know i don't love it because it's you know an artist already already, already like does so much work that is supposed to you know like stay for after you die and you know like art history is a lot about like those museums you know that was painted like 500 years ago and you're still and that could be a little bit like stressful and, and haunting you can be like oh and what about if it's shit you know like, you can, like <laughs> so at least <laughs> when it's in, removed the impermanence is yeah. good yeah. it's very good it's very you know like you do when you do a mural you're less stressed because it's going to be removed so if it's bad or oh, it's going to be here for a few months so it's it's you know even if people don't like it it's not a big deal right you're just going to like mm -hmm. cover it up and it's the for me, the murals were always very perf performative um, because I, I started to, I did a lot of graffiti, street art stuff when I was a teenager and graffiti, you know, like especially the illegal stuff, like, you know, on the train and on the side of the train track and highways and all that, that's, you know, the visual part is really not that important. Like what is important is to do it. It's to go there at night with your friends and like, you know, tag. getting chased by the police. Yeah. It's like, what was your tag party or something? Let's party. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that was, uh, there was a bunch, but there was like a uh, seam S E A M that was on train. And we had like PM that was one of the, the group, but we had like, uh, we, there was a bunch of, there was, it's a long kind of uh, 10 years arc of, uh, have you connected with cause about this? This, it's called yeah, yeah, he's a yeah, he's a he's a friend of us. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, we we definitely get along with that. That's uh, <laughs> it's it's definitely a thing. Like skaters or like whatever. Like you, when you meet someone, you're like, oh, okay, you did it too. <laughs> yeah. Kindred spirits. Yeah. What about what what about puzzles then? When did puzzles come into your life? <laughs> I'm not a big. <laughs> so the the reality is more. 
Nick, they're, you know, they're, they have this incredible house that you know, if you're lucky enough, like we did to be hosted by them, which was really, really fantastic, probably my favorite install. Like, and they have a puzzle table, which since then I, I always wanted to have, and we didn't manage to do it yet. But uh, like, you know, basically there's a table always, you know, in the living room with a puzzle that is there. And they're part of this British puzzle society. And this is the, the coolest thing. It's basically like you get this leather old box with basically a puzzle, but no image, nothing. And it's like wooden kind of cuts. And it's basically, it's fairly complicated. And you get, so you get the pieces, you don't know what the image is. And it's like this little book that uh, you have to register. And then you, sh you, know, you send it back and it goes to someone else from this, apparently the queenie part of this, uh, was part, sorry, <laughs> of that The British uh, Puzzle club. Society. Yeah, and you get right. the puzzle, and it's so. really incredible. And you get this old box, and it's busy. And then you do the puzzle without knowing, and then you have this incredible image that you didn't know. And then, and then you pass there. it on. Sorry, you like you like yeah. uh, recycle it, so someone else gets that yeah. puzzle. Exactly. And you sign, and you can see in the book who did it. <gasps> it's like pass the pu pass, pass the, the puzzle. puzzle. <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's, there's a there's, there's little, these puzzles. Are they like? I don't know. Like they change in kind of a bit, and there's like a little like you know like a little was like oh that was very hard. Like, you know, you can imagine the Queen's written <laughs> her Royal Highness. This is a tough one. Ross, we can ask Nikki when we interview Nikki because I really want to do a focus on What Nikki was the image on it? What was it like? I mean, it was often paintings, I guess. Like, okay. but you know, so for example, all the time they don't have a straight edge. So the edge could be like ornate. So it's, it's very hard to do. Like, it's really neat. And, but it's, it's, it was just so perfect because I was doing the mural during the day and then we'll go in this great little castle that they have you know, a fireplace and a little drink and you just do the puzzle, like, so you can have a conversation and you, you focus your mind. Yeah, lovely. Very, very good. I I, I've got recommend it. a couple more questions before we get into our last thing. The first one is, what do you find hard to draw then? If everything does is joyful and easy, are you like shit at feet or hands? Is oh, I'm, some... I'm actually quite bad at all. I'm, my craft is very limited actually. Like, and it's, and I'm, because I'm fairly like, it's going to sound not true, but I'm actually quite lazy and I, I don't, uh, that's maybe why I'm like I don't I don't find it like working super hard because if it's very hard I usually don't do it. So I'm like, kind of like I always like try to I want to have yeah pleasure when I do it. So if like if I paint like you know like a horse and I can't do it I'm gonna be like you know what I'm just gonna paint some trees it's easier. Yeah, fuck, fuck the and, horse. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fuck the horse. and so like sometimes I do have like oh I'd love to like have this and this and the, have this vision you know like oh I'm gonna. I'm gonna have those characters and everything, and I start and I'm like, oh my god, this is way too complicated. It will require like hours of pain, exactly, and I don't want mm. to do that. And uh, so I usually, but I think it's in life, it's something that is often important. Just, of course, you have to fight and like work hard for where you're going, but also like recognize what what you have, what you're good at, and have fun doing, so you can you know have a good time doing whatever you do. Because if if you know, like, if you choose a sport that you're terrible at and you hate doing it, you're gonna do it five times a week. It's really not gonna be fun. If you that's true, if you want to choose something that you enjoy doing, it's like the same well, with people you, you hang, hang out with, right? <laughs> well, if you love your job, you never work a day in your life. Isn't that what they say? Exactly. Yeah. I want to know about printmaking and how important printmaking is for you because it's something that when I first discovered your work, you'd made a suite for of prints as a fundraiser for Glasgow. And uh, hopefully we're working on a project together soon. And prints, you've done a lot of fundraising prints. It's a very generous mm. act that you've done for the, the White Chapel. I think I've seen some. And how important is printmaking to you? And do you have a rule? Because I think most of the prints I've seen of yours have been black and white. They've been monochrome. I haven't really seen 
don't think I've seen any many color ones. I did I did screen print. Screen print I they're usually in colors. So right. I did and actually did I did the woodcut for the Urshan Museum for yeah, fundraising. Oh, yeah, like that. Uh, that was like kind of a, like very Japanese looking kind of woodcuts in colors. But yeah, I do actually kind of think that like photography and, and printing for me is kind of black and white. Because <laughs> kind of like, uh, I think it, they're very powerful for to kind of capture that, uh, that's a very specific idea of black and white, which is a very strange idea of consuming an image. And, you know, history of printmaking is kind of black and whites in the West, for sure. Mm. Like in Jap- Jap- Japan, it's very different. And I've, so I've been doing a lot of woodcuts recently and before that mezzotint, but so, so woodcuts, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Felix Vallotton, uh, kind of the Swiss French artist that did a lot of woodcuts. So, so that's how I get, and now that, that's, it's kind of actually like the puzzle thing is like printmaking, especially woodcuts, you do, you know, you do your image and then you have to carve the block, right? And this basically this part, which can take a long time is purely technical. There's absolutely nothing creative about it. Like you just have to be extremely focused because if you break anything, it's done. You have to restart from scratch. So like, and I love that. Like you're like, not, I don't do that every day at all, but like, I love sometimes to be like, okay, like now for like today, I'm going to carve this wood and it's, I'm not going to think about, because when you do a painting, this moment that is it, you know, I'm not just going to use the word hard, but it's like, oh my God, it's obviously not working and I need to resolve the problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something is completely off. With a woodcut, when you start to do it, it's purely technical. You just only have to be focused with your hands, stay calm, put your headphones, listen to talk art. And yes, you can, it's all you, you need. Can, it's all you need. Yeah. You can do an entire season in like one block. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I lo- I, to be honest, I'd love to do much more printmaking but uh you know funny enough it's much longer to do than uh, than painting because it's the whole process and then you have to print it it's a good relationship with the printer you have to mm-hmm. go there like you have to do test proof it's you know painting when you're fairly kind of classic painters like i am like it's it's very straightforward you sketch you paint you by yourself you can do what it's it's very the production side is very simple any anytime you do sculptures for example it's becoming a nightmare and every sculptor will probably tell you you know, like Hugo Mordino or whatever, like the line of like technical problems that you have when you produce objects, uh, it's, you know, with material, with like how they transport it, like how they come to the studio, like yeah. it's an entire, like, I mean, Carol Bove has a studio, like, you know, down the road here. It's, you know, I can tell you it's a different operation than here. <laughs> it's like, it's complicated. Like here, it's very like, you know, my studio is super simple. Like I have like different little rooms and my, my studio, I mean, here where I'm right now, it's like when I do my actually, you know, like, like, like that's where the, do my little woodcuts. Ah, and we're looking at a lot of prints yeah. and drawings now in your studio. Mm. And this is New York we're currently talking to you from. Yeah, and then actually the the, the uh, that's my little oil and copper oh, that I do wow. here. So th- this room here, it's like the little room where I do little work. And the room next door is where I do like my uh, pastel. And then the rest of the rooms are more like kind of like for hanging things and, that, and everything. That was something Russell was interested in asking, actually, was this idea of like, do you just do one work at a time? But in that room, you're like surrounded by probably like 40 works. I mean, small works, but so it's like all these ideas are kind of pouring out, I do a, flowing around. I, like, I do a lot of sketches. So I do like sketches and then I put them like, uh, what was my like, you know, I do like there. I see that's the sketches uh, that I've been doing like wow. when I was in the States, mountains. Love, love those. Yeah, we got. Did black you always draw? Did, did did you start drawing when you were a kid? 
as I said, you, every kids are drawing. That's yeah. the that's people always say like, oh, they, you, you know, every kids are drawing. Like, there's I don't know any kids that will not because that's what they do at school. They literally because <laughs> they can't really like sit down and like you know, oh, let's just like do some math. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They have to like they have to play and you know like play with clay, play with sand, mm. play with paint. But so like you, and again, the only thing that you do if you're an artist, you just keep doing it. That's the only difference. <laughs> do you feel part of and the community then, there in New York? You, I know you've curated. I saw a project at the Flag Art uh, Foundation, mm. which you did, which is incredible, with amazing artists in. Do you feel like you're in a dynamic artistic community there? Because whenever I go to New York, I love it because I feel like I'm really connected to like movements. Yeah, it's. I mean, I will. No, I can't claim I'm because I'm, some of my friends are much more <laughs> connected, and I'm really. I have, I have a little bit of a working problem, as you maybe can see like I'm kind of always trying to be in my studio and I don't even call that working but I'm like really kind of uh, but of course you know I'm in New York so I go to openings and uh, you know I have like three galleries here so Karma has a very strong community of artists and they're really great with their like dinners and like so you know and also of course like uh, Kaufman Repetto also and Hauser it's a little bit more like a big thing so it's Maybe it's like a very tight community, but to be honest, like with Hauser, like you're gonna meet, you know, I met Cindy Sherman, and I mean, you meet mm. obviously amazing people because they have a pretty good network of uh, of artists they work with, and you know, it's kind of pretty incredible. Like I met like amazing artists, but of course, I have like friends, and most of them are artists, uh, and we kind of hang out. But I will not say because definitely there is people that have a very strong artist community actually the people that i did uh, some people that i did the show with at the um, at the uh, at flag art like you know loy allowell robin williams they 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 i feel like they have a pretty tight uh, community of people like they they kind of do studio visits and like i, I don't do much of that oh. like uh, but of course i mean being in new york like i see artists like three times a week because <laughs> it's like every time you go out there and also the people that work with me here are artists too so like uh, and some of them are much more kind of like, a bit younger so much more connected so like more knowing what exactly yeah. what's going everywhere on. you go is a bloody artist yes yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so our final questions then so if you could do an art heist, if you could have any work of art for yourself, I don't know if you are a collector, um, what would it be and why? I do collect actually quite, uh, quite oh, a lot. Oh, right, great. So, yeah, that's probably where I spend the most money, for sure. Same. <laughs> what do you collect? I collect I collect every, everything that I love, I'm trying to get. So, of course, there's things that I can't get. <laughs> but typically, like Otto Marcus von Schreck, this Dutch painter from, you know, like 1600s, uh, that was like a very kind of famous artist at the time. Uh, but I discovered him in an auction site and I bought a painting and then I made like an entire show in, at Hauser actually in LA. So, and I bought another one of, 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 of his painting at Sotheby's in New York. So there's like two, you know, it could go from like 1630 Flemish kind of painting. They're both in my studio right now. I've wow. been buying uh, two Rosalba Carriera, which is like the queen of pastel. She's like really the most influential pastel artist in the kind of early kind of 18th century. Uh, so, you know, it could be that if, if, if I could have like a piece of anything, mm. well, it's impossible to obviously answer, but for, like, I, like I tried to borrow, you know, there was this amazing cell of uh, Georgia O'Keeffe like a few years ago in uh, at Sotheby's and I tried to get like, uh, it was a tiny painting. Um, there was great drawings. I didn't get anything. It's kind of stupid. I think I bet on the wrong 
the wrong. I was too ambitious, and obviously that was completely out of my league. But I tried a few times. <laughs> yeah, but there was a little like kind of like fruits kind of painting that was really. But I love her work, and I will be like, I mean, but you know that's a bit upscale, obviously. But uh, I mean, you know, I went to the. I was in Paris a few weeks ago, and I went to the John Mitchell and Claude Monet painting yeah, yeah. show. And the, the late Claude Monet, I was like, hmm, those are delicious. <laughs> so a late Claude Monet or, or the George O'Keefe that you lost at Sotheby's a few years ago, we'll get you those. Would you be happy with that? Yeah. I can name you a hundred other ones, but uh, I oh, I love that because like, you're a proper collector. I love that you answered it as someone oh, I'm like, oh, I have like, I, my phone is full of like saved thing and like, you know, like, I, because I, I, you know, I want, I have like one Felix Vallotton painting, but I want to buy another one. I mean, this one is like really like, Hundreds of uh, basically, I'm trying to buy like whatever. I bought like two Jean van Kessel painting on copper, for example. But the problem with old stuff, you never really know if it's really like what it is. But uh, <laughs> yeah, when it's a few hundred years old, yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, the provenance is the key. The key. The key to success with old stuff. And sometimes those things are not very. The provenance is very blurry. If the provenance says mm. uh, acquired from the artist by the present owner, and it's from 1600, yeah. then you definitely know that it's not legit. That's just my tip. Also, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, also, I want to say that also obviously buy some Conopery art because you're going to think like, this guy is only buying like things in the, because I have like a great kind of uh, monster Chetwin in my studio right here. Oh, nice. And I have the bats, like... Uh, the bat you know, opera, yeah. The bat opera. I love she's, that series. Awesome. Ross yeah, and yeah. I saw that mm. show. I, you know, I do buy like quite often from uh, from the gallery that I, that I, that I, that I work with, like from Kaufman or Petto, like you know, because they have like obviously artists that I know that I love, and, mm. uh, and mm. you know, so that's kind of and it's like the, the flow of exchanges is it's great, and I work with amazing galleries that have really incredible artists, so it's kind of like with Karma, I got this great, you know, like. Uh, Sadly, past uh, Matthew Wong, whatever really great painting that uh, that is also. I mean, actually, a lot of my art is in my studio. In the in the office kind of space, it's there's nothing of of mine there. So like, there's a bit of fresh air, especially for people that work here. So they're not like surrounded by my stuff all day long. Like they can have like a little break. <laughs> and me yeah, too, actually. Yeah. Sometimes I don't have any of my work at home or anything, obviously, because I really I see that all day long. It's enough. Got it. Got it. The other question we ask is, what is your favorite color? Uh, well. I mean, pink is kind of my favorite color, but it's weirdly like, a, I mean, I have, I have a mustardy yellow that I use almost all the time. Yes. Uh, it's a, that, I, that I love, and it goes great with pink. But somehow, lately, uh, I really do yellows, like, but it's, yellow is kind of hard. But also, kind of, especially for interiors and everything. But pink and this, the, uh, like, uh, actually kind of a, a bit of a millennium kind of pink, I'm sorry to say. It's very obvious, like, uh, but I love, I love, I love, you know, there was this, like, I guess this, like, uh, catalog. Uh, ah, the, yes, the, what's the, ca oh, it's, it's oh, your yes. own catalog, yeah. Yeah, so that, that pink, I love, is all the, oh, all that's, the So we're looking at a photograph of your pastel storage yeah. cabinet, which is, Rainbow it looks colors. like a Gursky photograph. Yeah. The, pink, the, the, the pink you like makes me think of like Marie Antoinette or something. Oh, yeah, but that's the Rococo because I'm a big Rococo fan because of the best <laughs> See, that's the, Oh, wow, yeah. look at that. Oh, can you uh, send us a photograph of that and we can post that for everyone? That looks. Of course, yeah. I'm going to show well, you. Well, there's actually an amazing portrait of you, I think, somewhere I've seen before where it's in front you, of all the pastels. Um, in front of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's really all the cameras. I'm showing you guys my favorite color. Oh, you Who makes your it? pastels? My pastels are made by three uh, manufacturers like Rocher from Paris, Senelier from Paris, and Unison from the UK, actually. They're all very different brands, actually, and the, the Rocher from Paris is kind of a little very high-end, 
amazing pigments, uh, pastel. That, um, I mean, they're really incredible. Um, they're really very special. They're all handmade by two people. Oh my God. <laughs> How much do you spend on pastels a year, do you think, Nicholas? I definitely can know that. <laughs> There's someone, someone back there that knows exactly that answer. Like, I mean, for much. sure, like, uh, <laughs> for sure. I mean, you know, it's compared to like some expenses, again, for sculpture, this is not crazy, but like probably 10,000, 15,000 probably. But that will include maybe some of the murals. I don't know. Because like, I think with the pen, the, the canvas, definitely not that much. But uh, when you go, when you do a mural with pastel, that's like goes pretty pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, do you okay. ever get and, like wrist injuries or anything? Have you ever got like tennis elbow or RSI because repetitive, repetitive strain, strain yeah. stuff? No, what you have with mural with pastel, I had that many times, it's because the pastel has to have a kind of an abrasive, like a kind of sandpaper surface. So it holds on the canvas on, on the wall. Mm. So when you use your hand, right, you can rub the pastel. So you, when you do a big mural, you rub your hand on the sandpaper all day long. So, you know, you kind of start to bleed on your, on your finger, which is <laughs> it's a bit annoying. So some of these murals have Nicholas Party's blood in them. Blood. All of them, probably. All of them. Sweat <laughs> and tears. The one that I made in pastel anyway. Like, but a mural in pastel is by far, like, it's, it's, it's really amazing because it's matte. You know, murals in acrylic or oil paints or whatever. Like, I mean, you can, it's very hard, but like, basically, you know, like with the, whatever lights you have in the space, you're going to have a sheen very often. And it's, you know, when you take a photo or whatever, it's very hard with a large scale mirror with, uh, with pastel, like it, because it doesn't reflect any light because it's so velvety matte. It's, mm. it's actually amazing in, in space. It's really like incredible. What's some, um, what's something that you haven't done yet that you really would love to realize? Like, is there a big ambition, like a kind of burning, like desire to create something that you haven't quite done yet? Cause I feel like you've achieved so much at such a young age, but every time I see a new show by you, you always take it somewhere new, like even the burning, you know, forests or whatever, like that there's always this kind of new element to what you're doing. Like, is there something that's like a big desire for you? I mean, it was never like, I mean, if, I, I think w when you start like, you know, your journey into your art, you definitely have this, like, I want to work with a gallery. So, you know, that, that I did. <laughs> and then yeah, you kind of like, I want to yeah. do like few big shows and I have like, like in museums or whatever to see how it feels to do like, you know, a large, like the, like the one I did in Montreal or in Lugano, like a lot with the catalog and everything. And, mm. uh, and that's, you know, it, it, it's, if I didn't do that, I would be like, I'd, I'd love to try to see how it feels to work with a big I mean, I definitely want to keep doing those because they're, they're, they're really great and it's more like a long kind of, usually it takes a few years to do. And there's like great project coming up like that, that I'm very excited. But uh, I think like actually, like if I were to say like, oh, if there's one thing that I want to, it's just being in the studio and like discovering new little things. But it's, it's not like a big thing. It's really like, oh, like I, I, I have like, I think artists usually have like, it's not an image, it's like a feeling and intuition of like they, they know it's going somewhere and they know that they're going to meet, you know, when I met my characters, the pastel portraits, that's an incredible moment for, for an artist, I feel, like for me anyway, it was really, and I did, when I did the fire, the same, it's like suddenly you, it's really like meeting someone amazing, new in a, you know, in, in a party or whatever, and you're going to, you know, like fall in love and you're going to hang out and you're going to be like, wow, we have, we have great, we have, you know, we have a lot of things to, to, to say to each other. It's so I think if I have to, one thing that I really want is not losing that. I don't want to be like in furious time, not meeting anybody <laughs> in my studio. Mm. I mean, <laughs> if I like, oh, because some of the subjects at some point, like the fruits, 
that I did for a few years now, like basically we don't have anything to say to each other. So I don't paint them. I live with uh, photos of them. I mean, photos like the real one, but we don't, you know, we don't interact with me touching them, making them. They're like more like distance kind of memories now. And, uh, and, and, and that is kind of a scary when, when it happens, it's, it's great, but also it's a little bit sad because you like, feel like I don't have to say anything to them anymore. They don't have to, if I was doing a fruit now, they will look exactly the same as the one that I did like a year and a half ago. They don't change. Yeah. Anymore. You've kind of exhausted it. Yeah. yeah we don't cool. have to, you know, it's like a relationship, right? At some point you're like, you, you, you're in a, you're in a restaurant and you're like, you know what? Maybe we, <laughs> we don't have, to, we should have a, we should break to. up. Yeah. 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 We maybe, maybe when you're like, maybe when you're like 80 or something, you'll like rediscover something like there'll be a theme and suddenly you'll have a new love again. New fruits. Exactly. Yeah. That will be, that, exactly. that's like, but you know, like uh, the return of the <laughs> but and it's it's you know when you like look at those greats you know great great artist figure like again like the Monet show and Mitchell at the, the Vuitton and you see those late paintings, uh, you know I mean Hockney is a very famous character for that because he feels like every other year he's coming up with his like you know that's another very enthusiastic obviously artist that and he's like seems like he met again new subjects new techniques and he's like fresh as like, you know, when he was like 20 or 30 in, in California. Like, and that's, I think the only thing that an artist wants is to keep that. Because if you don't have that, that is a very scary path because like, mm. you know, artists are completely addicted. You know, we're addicted to that relationship with things. And if, if you don't feed the machine, I think you get like, it's, it's a scary kind of, <laughs> kind of like space that you're trying to never go basically, because I will have no idea what to do basically. <laughs> What is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art? I mean, probably like, I mean, at school, I definitely got great advice of trying to let the, the work talk to you and the, the, the audience trust the work. You know, like I, I think I've, I was told often, like at school anyway, like to let the work talk for itself. Because I feel like if, that's why I was saying, you know, like early on, uh, before we got started in the interview, like I'd never really listen or my interviews or reread them because I felt like, oh my God, this is so stupid. If, if my art is like that, I'm going to stop right now. But like, so like I would say, like, I'll let, like I always hope that the art is more complex and more interesting than myself. And I think like, I, f I believe every artist probably feels the same. Like they're like, they feel like the, the language of what we use, like, you know, shapes and colors and symbolic images it brings a complexity that we can't express with with words or like you know like and i think like trusting that makes you like less stressed in the studio because you feel like mm -hmm. again sometimes you feel like maybe i'm like stupid so i can't really make art because i'm like i read my well, you know whatever like and i feel but trust trust the uh, the image that you're making if you if it goes really smoothly out of yourself whatever life you're living whatever you've been it could be really great like it's, you know, you don't have to have a crazy life or you can, it doesn't matter. Like, but I think arts, you know, every, every, every existence is completely, you know, great by itself. Like there's no, not an individual on earth that don't have a, that could, everybody like that I observe in my window, there's like a big New York kind of view could be an amazing, you know, novel, probably their life. Mm -hmm. So like if you can put that into arts, like what, you know, like sometimes you're like, oh, my life maybe is a bit boring or money actually going back to money. Money was famously very boring in his life and his entry in his, um, 
in his kind of diary because he's, the only thing that he talks about is the weather because he's constantly looking at when he's going to go out and when the light's going to be okay to go out. So like his entire life was like, today it's a little bit too cold. I can't paint. Very like, right. and but but the work is like you know tr- transcend like so much. So uh, he's addicted, like you're saying. That's definitely an addicted artist. They everything just yeah. come boils down to the ability to make art. Yeah, I think artists are addicted to this. I don't know why we are, but we are. <laughs> well, we're addicted to you, Nicholas. This has been an incredible feature length, I'm going to say, episode, because we've talked for we a love long you time. So much. This has been. And we've waited a long time to talk yeah, to so you, so we had a lot thank of Thank you so, so much. And I'm excited <laughs> um, for us to work together on uh, an upcoming print, which we can announce soon. But that's very brilliant. And again, a big fundraiser. And actually, it'll be made here in Margate. That's right. So in Kent. Yeah. That's going to be great. And currently, I think this comes out, and there might be a few days left to catch Cascade. If you're in Brussels at Xavier Hufkins, but obviously go on Xavier Hufkin's website. As you said, you've got all of those galleries there. Everyone can find your work. I don't know if you have a website, but I know you're active on Instagram because that's how we connected. Yeah, a little bit not super active, but I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> and that's at Nicholas Party without a H, N-I-C-O-L-A-S, Party. We will be posting images. Yeah, and the show Cascades runs until the 4th of March, so get there. Otherwise, you have to look at it online and just imagine what it was like to stand in front of those paintings. We'll be back very soon. Thank, thank you so actually. much. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you, and I love the show, and thanks for doing it. It's really great. Thank you. Thanks. We'll be back very soon. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com